Hello and welcome to the Otter Podcast. I'm your host, Madison Page, and today we are taking a look at a missing persons case that has stumped investigators and intrigued the public for years. A girl on a bike ride goes missing, but when photos turn up in a parking lot showing someone in a van that looks strangely like her, what new clues could be gained to help find her? Today on the Otter, we are talking about Tara Calico. What happened to her, and after all these years, could new evidence finally give her the justice she deserves? Get ready and let's go! Good morning, Midnight and Moon, my otters. How is everyone doing today? Any of our Arizona listeners got another visit from the Triangle of Lights? Well, don't keep it to yourselves if you did. I hope you enjoyed our last episode on the Phoenix Lights. Of course, if you really enjoyed it, or if you didn't, please leave a rating and review. They really do help. For the returning listeners, welcome back. And for the new listeners, welcome, welcome to the Otter Podcast, where we are a trail mix of all things unknown, unsolved, and just plain odd. If you have an idea for an episode you think would be fun, good news, I do listener requests. So if you want your own personalized episode, you can send me an email at theotterpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and know what you want to hear from me. Today we are tackling the case of Tara Calico, which may soon no longer be unsolved. Tara Lee Calico was born February 28, 1969 to Patty and John Calico. Often called Teeny Tara by her family, she showed signs of being self-sufficient and level-headed even as a small child. Tara's parents would separate when she was young and her mother would later marry John Dole and the two would blend their families. Tara was described as extremely task-oriented. Organized and intelligent, Tara thrived caring for herself and others and constructing schedules and to-do lists to keep her days in order. Laying out her outfits for the day on her bed, Tara was never one to be caught unprepared. Classmates, teachers, and friends remarked that she was incredibly compassionate and open, often inviting lone students into conversation. Tara went out of her way to make each and every person she met feel comfortable. She was athletic and enjoyed exercising and playing sports, as well as excelling in school and artistic pursuits. Tara was especially known for her love of bike riding. Tara, along with her mother, took daily bike rides. They often rode Highway 47 in Valencia County, New Mexico. On September 20, 1988, 19-year-old Tara woke up to what was set up as an average day for her. She had planned her usual morning bike ride, followed by a game of tennis with her boyfriend Jack Cole at 12.30 p.m., and then classes at the University of New Mexico Valencia branch at 4 p.m. Tara was a fantastic student and had hopes of becoming a psychiatrist or psychologist. Tara dressed in a white t-shirt that boasted the print First National Bank of Bellin, white shorts with green stripes, white ankle socks, and white and turquoise avia sneakers. She was also wearing a gold butterfly ring with a diamond, a gold amethyst ring, and a pair of small gold hoops. She carried with her a yellow sports model Sony Walkman with a Boston tape for the ride. However, she soon found her bike to have a flat tire and got permission to borrow her mother's instead. Her mother had recently stopped riding with Tara after concerns about being stalked by a driver. 
Patty had cautioned her daughter against continuing the highway route, but Tara brushed her off and stated that she intended to be home by noon and if she wasn't to come get her. This was usual and routine as Tara typically took this path for her daily ride which stretched a staggering 36 miles. She would first ride 17 miles south until she hit the train tracks before turning back. The typical ride would take two hours. So as Patty watched Tara bike away on her 12-speed neon pink Huffy mountain bike with yellow control cables and sidewalls, she settled in for the countdown. But this would be the last time Patty ever saw Tara again. Nobody knows for sure what happened to Tara on that bike ride. After leaving her home at 9.30 a.m., seven witnesses reported seeing her at 11.45 a.m. on the highway heading north, which would have meant she was on her return trip from the train tracks. At noon, when Tara did not return home, Patty went out looking for her daughter. She followed the expected path but found no sign of Tara or her bike. She came home to find Tara's boyfriend, Jack, who had phoned the house to confirm his date with her, only to be informed of her disappearance. He had come over to help with the search, along with a friend named Bernard Nixon. Soon, Patty, Jack, Bernard, and her stepfather, John, were all scouring the highway and tracks looking for any sign of her. They split up, Nixon on bike, and Patty, Jack, and John in a car and spoke to anybody they could find who might have seen her. Three men repairing a nearby fence post recalled seeing Tara but could not provide any further clue to where she was currently. In a neighboring park, three men were found drinking beer around the back of a white pickup truck but claimed to have not seen Tara. Becoming desperate, Patty returned home and at 3 p.m. she called hospitals in the hope that her daughter may have had some accident and had been taken there. When she was told that nobody by Tara's name or description had been admitted, she phoned the police. This would be the beginning of a very long search for Tara Calico, one that would remain unsolved to this day. After alerting police, the real search for Tara would begin. Family and friends would scour the area until 2 in the morning, but would be hindered by a storm rolling through at 8 p.m., washing away key evidence. Patty returned to the shoulder of Highway 47 where Tara often rode, and there she found a discarded tape cassette for the band Boston in the Mud. However, the tape was found on the opposite side of the highway where she usually rode her bike. Near the tape, Patty also located two sets of bike tracks that showed some indication of the bike being dragged instead of ridden. The same day, searchers were able to recover a Sony Walkman screen cover that was cracked, an old Milwaukee beer can, and what appeared to be a piece of a bike reflector. These findings were made near the JFK campground where the truck containing the three men had been seen the day before. Patty believes these clues were left by Tara as a breadcrumb trail. While they continued searching on the ground, police attempted to organize eyes in the sky by using a helicopter, but were unsuccessful due to bad weather. Unfortunately, although hundreds of volunteers, law enforcement, and military personnel threw themselves into search efforts for Tara, nothing else was recovered from the area. Police began to circle back to the witnesses, who had seen Tara riding her bike that day to see if they had seen anything suspicious. Several witnesses told of a dirty white or light gray Ford pickup truck 
with a white handmade camper shell that followed Tara during her ride. The truck was believed to be either a 1953, 1955, or a 1956 Ford, and multiple witnesses confirmed that it was driving slowly, about 40 miles per hour, behind Tara who was listening to her Walkman and seemed unaware of the vehicle stalking her. One witness in particular would come to play a vital part in the case. Ishmael De La Rosa would later report seeing the truck and was able to describe the driver to police. He also reported a set of pressed khaki shirts hanging in the back of the truck similar to what law enforcement would wear. De La Rosa, hearing of the disappearance of Tara, called the Valencia County Sheriff's Department and asked to speak to Captain Ray Flores, who was in charge of the case at the time. He reported what he had witnessed and offered to share his statement and a description of the possible kidnappers. However, Captain Flores at first resisted working with De La Rosa. Eventually, he arranged for De La Rosa to undergo hypnosis and pick out a man from a photo lineup. Flores then arranged a next day meeting with him, but he ghosted him. He then avoided all of De La Rosa's attempts to follow up. In fact, Captain Flores would dodge De La Rosa for almost an entire year before reaching back out to him in July of 1989 when he would ask De La Rosa to help make a composite sketch. The sketch was released to the public in August of 1989 and showed a Caucasian male between 35 to 40 years of age. He is 5'9 to 6 feet tall and between 190 to 210 pounds with reddish brown hair, blue or hazel eyes, and two deep wrinkles between his eyes and temples. A further description of the truck is also released featuring the possibility of the New Mexico license plate starting with WBY or WBZ and having six as its last number. While completing the composite sketch with Captain Ray Flores, De La Rosa mentioned that his friend's grandson, J.J. Aguayo, sometimes called J.J. Hampton, was also hunting in the area and had seen Tyra ride by. This friend had confided to De La Rosa that he feared J.J. and some friends might have been involved in Tara's disappearance and that they could have had access to a truck that matched the description of the stalking vehicle. Apparently, J.J. was also involved in the drug scene of the Valencia area. This led to both J.J. and a friend, Paul Zeeler, being brought in for questioning. During their interviews, Zeeler and Aguayo both had inconsistencies about whether or not J.J. had discharged his gun at a quality home sign on Route 47 that day. However, both men reported that they had seen Tara cycling by. Later, a woman connected to J.J. would report that he had told her he felt bad about what happened to Tara, but that he was unable to do anything because Lawrence Romero Jr. was involved. This was the son of the current sheriff of Valencia County. Sheriff Lawrence Romero Sr. and Ray Flores were both the leads on Tara's missing person case. His son, Lawrence Jr., was a known drug user and occasional dealer who used his father's position to keep out of trouble. It was rumored that at the time of Tara's disappearance, Lawrence Jr. had been interested in her and tried to ask her out, but that she had turned him down due to the fact that she already had a boyfriend. Unfortunately, there was not enough evidence to support charges to any of these men, and they would not be arrested. While the sketch De La Rosa provided would be circulated, no further evidence would be found. Tara would legally be declared dead in 1998. Her death was ruled a homicide. So what happened to Tara Calico? 
Theory one, she was kidnapped while out on her bicycle by an unknown assailant, possibly by someone committing a string of kidnappings and crimes. While out performing her daily routine, she is attacked and forced into an assailant's car, leaving the broken Walkman and Boston tape behind. Often it's impossible to talk about her without bringing up the Polaroid photograph, which serves as a basis for this theory. In 1989, 10 months after Tara disappeared, a woman was shopping at a convenience store in Port St. Joe, Florida. She pulled into a parking lot and parked next to a white Toyota cargo van with no windows that was being driven by a white male with a mustache. Thinking nothing of it, she did her shopping, but when she returned, found the van gone and a face-down Polaroid in the space it had occupied. The picture showed the back of a van covered in blankets and pillows where a young woman lay with her hands bound behind her back and black duct tape over her mouth. She is wearing a white t-shirt and running shorts and bears a striking resemblance to Tara Calico. Next to this woman is a young boy, similarly bound. On the right side of her lies the book My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews. The woman, understandably spooked, took the photo to police where it was aired on the TV show A Current Affair. A friend of John Dole, Tara's stepdad, happened to be watching and alerted him to the eerie resemblance between the woman in the photograph and Tara. The family flew to Florida where Tara's mother examined the photograph. She pointed to a scar on the girl's leg that matched one Tara had gotten from a car accident. The book in the picture, My Sweet Audrina, was also one of Tara's favorites. Witnesses would later come forward who claimed to have seen the girl featured in the photograph walking along a beach in Port St. Joe. The girl appeared to have been directed by three adult white males who were walking along beside her. The boy featured in the photo may have also been a connection to Tara. Michael Henley was a young boy who had gone missing in April 21, 1988. His family had been camping in the Zuni Mountains of New Mexico when he had wandered away from his father. While search efforts had gone underway in an attempt to locate the boy, he had not been found. However, Michael also bore a striking resemblance to the boy seen bound in the back of the van. As Michael had disappeared only a few months before Tara and from a location nearby to her, many began to speculate that Tara and Michael were both abducted by the same person who was now taunting police. Two more photographs would later appear. The first would be found near a construction site in Montecito, California. This photo showed a woman similar to Tara with tape over her mouth and leaning against something lined in blue and white fabric similar to that seen in the original photograph. This picture was up close of her face and was blurry as though it was moving when shot. There was no sign of a boy in this one. I could not find where the second picture was located, but it showed a woman and a man on an Amtrak train. The woman was bound in gauze on both her hands, legs, and mouth, and was wearing large black glasses. She was contorted with her head bent back, while the man is seen looking down at her, laughing or mid-speech. The pictures became intrinsically linked to the case. While the two later photographs have been scrutinized for either being close but not looking convincingly like Tara, or as the one featuring the Amtrak train has been commonly criticized, clearly staged, the original photograph has been examined by three separate investigative agencies. Scotland Yard, the Los Alamos National Laboratory, and the FBI all took a crack at either proving Tara to be the woman bound in the back of the van or not. 
Scotland Yard would confirm that the woman in the photograph was indeed Tara. But the Los Alamos National Laboratory refuted this and stated it was not her. The FBI deemed their results inconclusive and chose to pick neither side. While the evidence of the leg scar, the book, and the physical similarities point to the belief that it is Tara, there is just as much evidence that it is not. Some have pointed out the fact that the girl in the picture's legs have been shaved, which would not be consistent with a kidnap victim. The skin around the mouth has not been irritated by the duct tape, meaning it has not been in place for very long, and the shoulders of both the woman and the boy are relaxed and not indicative of hands being bound. It has never been officially confirmed that the woman in the photograph is Tara, but her mother clung to the photo in hope that it meant her daughter was still alive. Sadly, although Michael Henley's parents held the same hope, the boy's remains would be found in June of 1990, a few miles from where the family's campsite had been located in the Zuni Mountains. Experts determined the boy had wandered away from the camp, became disoriented, and died of exposure. The boy in the photograph could not have been Michael Henley, and remains unidentified. Theory number two, Tara Calico was a victim of homicide. In 2008, Sheriff Rene Rivera announced that he knew exactly what had happened to Tara. Rivera had been working on the case since 1996 and found that two men who knew Tara had accidentally hit her while she was riding her bike. They panicked, tossed her and her bike into their truck and drove off. They reportedly sexually assaulted her before killing her and hiding her body in the brush of the New Mexico desert. They disposed of the bike in a Bellin junkyard. Later, after Tara's case began to gain traction, they would get the help of two other men to collect her body and hide it in another temporary location before concealing it permanently in a pond. The sheriff's claims caused a ripple of outrage and questions. When asked why he was just now coming forward if he had known this all along, Rivera claimed that the men were from well-connected families who assisted in the cover-up and disposal of the remains. This was, of course, not an acceptable answer. Your lineage does not entitle you to be above the law. And he then backtracked to state that they had intended to build an airtight case before publicly announcing the names of the suspects. When pressed for the next steps, it became apparent there was no intention of proceeding any further until the bike, clothing, or the body were unearthed first. Rivera would offer no further evidence of his claims, but his story does have some eerie similarities to the original ones told by De La Rosa. Both involved boys who knew Tara and had connections that would have allowed them to avoid trouble. These claims and the similarities between them would inspire Melinda Esquibel, a classmate of Tara, to do her own investigation. She was a filmmaker and began to shoot a documentary about the case in 2010 before ceasing production due to receiving death threats. She was undeterred and instead released a 37-episode podcast in 2017 titled Vanished, the Tara Calico Investigation. In October 2013, Tara's case was reopened by a cold case task force. They interviewed a former Valencia County Sheriff's deputy named Frank Mathola, who claimed to have been present at the deathbed confession of a man named Henry Brown. Brown claimed to have info about Tara's disappearance and wanted to get it off his chest and do everything he could to help authorities find her. He stated that his neighbor, Lawrence Romero Jr., had taken him to a makeshift basement under his home, where Brown saw what he believed to be a shallow grave containing something wrapped in a blue tarp. 
Romero Jr. and his friends then began to openly speak about killing Tara. She had apparently recently broken up with a friend of theirs named Jeff Avieta. Romero Jr., a man named Dave Silva, Leroy Chavez, and an unnamed redheaded man were driving through the area in a pickup truck when they spotted Tara on her bike. They struck her before abducting her and taking her to a nearby gravel pit. There they assaulted her before Romero Jr. stabbed her to death after she threatened to go to the police. The group had then dumped her body in a pond and taken her bike to a junkyard. Brown would later state that Romero Jr. had poured concrete over the basement and had threatened Brown with death if he ever told anyone what he had heard that night. At the time of the murder, Romero Jr.'s father was the sheriff of Valencia County and had helped cover up the crime. This statement by Mithola would face its own criticism. The actual transcript of the incident report taken by the deputy at the time was read by Melinda Esquibel on her podcast, and Brown's statements differed considerably. For one, Brown had originally referred to the neighbor only as the initials AJ, not Romero Jr. AJ had apparently shown the basement with what looked like a shallow grave to Brown in November of 1988 and had become intoxicated before talking about the Tara Calico disappearance and how pretty of a girl she was. Years later, Brown would see that AJ had placed a concrete slab over the basement and threatened Brown to keep his mouth shut. In 2001, AJ had sent a hitman after Brown, but it was unsuccessful. Brown was 83 at the time of his statement. In 2018, the FBI and Valencia County Sheriff's Office announced that they had a new theory that bore marked similarities to both previous claims. They stated two informants had provided them with information that had pointed them in the direction of two living subjects who had been teenagers at the time of Tara's disappearance. They believed they had attacked and killed her on Route 47 before utilizing two others to help them hide the evidence. They further believed the boy's parents had helped them cover up the crime. In 2019, the FBI offered a reward of 20000 to anyone with info leading to the discovery of Tara Calico. And in September 2021, a statement was issued by the Sheriff's Office and the New Mexico State Police indicating that a new lead and a sealed warrant for a private residence located in the county had been issued. No further info from this incident was released. Theory 3. Tara Calico left of her own accord. Since the discovery of the photographs, there have been several claims made of people spotting Tara in various areas around the country. A psychic has even come forward to claim she had met a runaway in California working at a strip club who claimed to be Tara. This woman was later located and the ID proved to be false. Some people took the sightings to mean that Tara may have faked her disappearance and run away to start her own life somewhere else. This theory is generally discounted, as Tara had no reason or prior inclinations that would point to a runaway theory. She had a good relationship with her family and friends. She was attending college classes and was enjoying her education. She also had made plans for later that day and for her mother to pick her up within a short span of time. She had packed no clothes, money, or any items to take on her trip, and witnesses who spotted her on her ride had indicated that she had been in the midst of making her journey back home when she disappeared. Unfortunately, we still have no idea what happened to Tara, where she is, what occurred on that hot day in New Mexico, or which, if any, of the several reported statements and theories bore the most weight. 
We may not have to wonder forever though, as on June 13th, 2023, Valencia County Sheriff's Office had announced a breakthrough. Sheriff Denise Vigil spoke at a press conference to say that sufficient evidence had been found to submit the case to the district attorney's office. The current identity and specifics of the evidence that have been found and the potential suspect has yet to be released. The Otter will release an update with info on the case as soon as it becomes available. Tara's family never gave up hope in finding their daughter. In the over 30 years since Tara's disappearance, Patty and John Dole have appeared on Oprah, America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, and other news outlets to keep her story alive. They mailed out flyers, rang up hundreds of law enforcement agencies, and even listened to tips from psychics to try and find any info that would lead to the discovery of their teeny Tara. On May 11, 2006, Patty Dole would sadly pass away at the age of 64, still left without the answers she deserved. While we at the Otter hope that the details will soon emerge and give relief to those who lost such a bright light in their life in the form of charges and a conviction for the parties responsible, we also urge anyone with possible information to reach out to the appropriate authorities. Tara Lee Calico went missing on September 20th, 1988. She is a Caucasian female standing between 5'5 and 5'7 and weighing between 115 and 120 pounds. She has hazel eyes and brown hair with a cowlick at her right temple. She has a large scar on the back of her right shoulder and dime-sized brown-colored birthmark on the back of one of her legs. She was last seen wearing a white t-shirt with First National Bank of Bellin on it in a size medium, white shorts with green stripes, white ankle socks, and white and turquoise avia tennis shoes. Tara was wearing a gold butterfly ring with a diamond insert, a gold amethyst ring, and half-inch gold hoop earrings. On the day of her disappearance, she was riding a neon pink Huffy mountain bike with yellow control cables and sidewalls down Highway 47 in Valencia County at approximately 11.45 a.m. She was 19 years old at the time of her disappearance and would be 54 today. If you have any information on the disappearance of Tara Calico, please contact the FBI at 505-889-1300. Well, that's all for this episode. So what do you think? What do you think happened to Tara Calico? Which theory seems the most likely? Let us know what you think on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and leave a review. The Otter Pod is also on TikTok. Come follow us there. Have a suggestion for a show? Send me an email at theotterpod at gmail.com with your request and whether you'd like me to mention your name, your alias, or nothing at all. Remember, this is the Otter side, so give me something cool, creepy, or confusing to deep dive for you. If you like the show, leave us a review. They really help. The Otter Podcast posts every other Thursday. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Otter Side.